China Tech Talk, the weekly discussion of technology uh, and startups here in China. I am John Artman, editor-in-chief of Technode.com, joined as always by Matthew Brennan, but uh, here live in in person. Matt, welcome to my home. Thank you, John. Great to be here. <laughs> so this week we have James Hull from uh, the China Tech Investor Podcast, part of the TechNode Podcast Network. Uh, he came on to talk about uh, Pinduoduo. And so we had Thomas Graziani from Walk the Chat on almost a year ago, I think, to talk about what Pinduoduo was doing um, and kind of how they stack up in in the overall space and in particular when it comes to kind of marketing and, uh, and selling. But this time with James, we're looking at kind of a, a more fundamental level layer of the business. Uh, and so James, he is a professional investor. Uh, he, he kind of helps family and friends manage their money. And so he looks very, very closely at these companies. And so recently he was taking a deep look at Pinduoduo and he came up with some some kind of concerns around their 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 cash cycle, what they're doing with their cash and whether or not the cash cycle matches up with their strategy. Yeah, so I think this this episode is a bit more financially focused than we usually do. So a bit of a warning on that. But I think that's uh, that's actually a good thing. Certainly, uh, the podcast that James does is is much more focused in that. So if anyone is interested in that area, I definitely would recommend them to check that out because uh, he crunches the numbers and goes much deeper than we do. Exactly, uh, but it's a great it's a great discussion, and so if you're ready for a bit of financial, we try to keep it a little bit. Uh, no, we tr- try to stay away from a lot of the technicals, but there are some numbers. There is a bit of jargon, but James, I think, uh, explains it uh, really, really well, and I certainly enjoyed the episode. Yeah, and Pindoldor is like a super interesting company, still mega high growth, as we talked about earlier. Like this is uh, this is a very interesting company mm-hmm. to cover. Like, exactly. um, and the jury is out on on whether they're actually uh, you know really going to be a big success and sustainable. Mm-hmm. But before we get into it, I wanted to give you guys a quick look into what TechNote has been up to these last few months, uh, as well as some of the big things that are coming up for us. So on the week of April 8th, we are going live with our membership program. So the membership program includes access to uh, our premium newsletters, including a weekly summary and roundup of the biggest tech news in China, which also includes uh, a commentary on a big issue from yours truly, as well as a bi-weekly newsletter focusing on a specific company or uh, vertical or industry. Uh, so for right now, we're focusing on ByteDance. We've gotten a lot of really, really good feedback from our beta testers. Uh, and it's one of those things, even for myself, who follows ByteDance pretty closely, it, well, I found it to be a great, great summary and uh, just overall roundup of what ByteDance is doing and kind of who they are in various markets. So that's going to go live on uh, the week of April 8th. I will include a link in the show notes to our landing page. Uh, If you go there before uh, April 9th or 10th, you can sign up to get notified about when we go live. If you uh, go to that that link after the 9th or the 10th, uh, then you can directly purchase the membership there. Also, we are uh, right in the middle of planning our first annual Emerge uh, event which is going to be in Shanghai on May 23rd. So it's going to be a whole day of tech, not tech in China. So rather than looking at uh, the companies or the, the the people, we're focusing more on the trends and the forces. So rather than uh, a PR exercise that we've seen a lot of uh, tech conferences in China, we'll be focusing on actual actionable insights uh, that you can apply to to your business or to your institution. So we'll be looking at artificial intelligence ethics in China, blockchain regulation, uh, digital marketing, corporate innovation, China in Southeast Asia and India, as well as the shift to, to enterprise to the 2B space. And so we're going to start selling tickets for that very, very soon. So make sure that you keep your eye out for that. And with that, we give you James Hall. Okay, so so James, thanks thanks so much for uh, for coming today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So this is actually really fun because this is the first time I believe that we've done a an indoor face to face recording. So Matt, mm-hmm. you know, we've done a few uh, kind of recordings 
um, TechCrunch. With TechCrunch. But we're actually in my home, which is, Matt, your first time here, and it's a bit embarrassing. First time here. <laughs> yeah. Um, my second time. James's second time. But again, yeah, James, thanks, thanks so much for, uh, for, coming, for coming over. Yeah, thank you. So, um, so the way that we like to start each, start each episode when we have um, someone we've never had on before is to give you an opportunity to tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what do you do, and, and I think that the big, the big question is, um, what's your China story? Okay, so who I am, I'm James Hull. I'm American. I've been in China 12 years. I'm a friends and family advisor, so I help people manage portfolios. Uh, my China story, how much time we got? The short version. Okay. <laughs> the short version is, so it unfortunately has to go back to 2006 before I came to China. I was uh, working at a mortgage-backed security hedge fund, analyzing these things called loan tapes, that led to me writing a thesis on the U.S. housing bubble. I graduated in 07, so everyone knows how old I am now. And then I was going to work for that hedge fund, but they you know, were firing people and uh, it wasn't good times. Mm. So I basically put about half of my portfolio at the time into GLD, which is a gold ETF. And then a few months after that, I was like, you know what, I'm going to travel the world. I didn't go abroad when I was in, in college. Uh, my roommate did, and he went to China, so I'm going to go check out China. And then I came here, you know, fall 07. And then speed up a little bit. Just before I, the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, well, I, actually, I was in Shanghai. So to speed up a little bit, I did some, I did some teaching, I did some consulting, I joined a uh, U.S.-listed hydroelectric company. There was an EGM, like an emergency general meeting, called by a large shareholder group. The management lost, which is unusual with those things, um, especially Cayman companies. Uh, we did a take private, which where we delist the mm. company from the New York Stock Exchange, pay off all the other shareholders. And then after that, I joined a group called JIC Capital uh, on a renewable energy fund focusing on like solar. It started off as solar, but then also went into wind projects. And I did that for two years, and then we kind of finished it up. And then uh, I helped them with like some kind of overseas M and A stuff. Uh, JIC Capital is it's technically an SOE. Mm. Uh, it's like under it's not so. There's two sides of SOE, right? There's SASAC, which are like all the all the main industrial ones, basically all of them. And then there's Ministry of Finance side, and so this is on the Ministry of Finance side. And then. Uh, I left in 2017. Yeah, been been managing a portfolio and doing that ever since. So, um, and so, one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on in particular was, of course, to talk about a recent piece that you've published on uh, on TechNode about Pinduoduo, uh, but then also to to give our listeners a chance to hear from someone from another podcast on right. our on our on the TechNode podcast network, which is uh, China Tech Investor. So tell us a little bit about that. So China Tech Investor, I co-hosted with Elliot Zagman. And Elliot and I kind of, we met last fall, uh, and we were both interested in Chinese tech companies. And we like had met through some groups. I think TechNode was one of them. Mm. And uh, Elliot has all these questions and he's like, follows the stories, right? And like mm. I like to dive into the numbers. And so we would, we would just kind of throw back and forth ideas and he would have some ideas and I'd kind of drill into the numbers and connect them a little bit uh, or, you know, show that, yes, they're, these are really good ideas or maybe they're not. So, you know, <laughs> You're like, crazy, Elliot. <laughs> good compliment. Elliot's not here, so but, but he's, you know, he's really good at the stories and, and getting into the, the people behind, you know, these companies. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so he was like, I think he said at first, you want to start a podcast and I was like, yes, this is something I've actually been thinking about. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And we, I think we have 18 episodes out now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we got, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's, we try to do it weekly, but we're, it's not weekly. It's like one, Elliot says, 1.2 weekly. Yeah, it's about one, yeah, 1.25, 1.25. 1.25. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> inching so up. You want to get back down. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than us. We're, we're, we're almost weekly. Yeah. Just wait till you've been doing it as long as we have. Though. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. How many you guys got? 
We have uh, we're almost at eighty at this point. Okay, yeah. yeah, but we've been doing it for almost two years now. Yeah. Yes, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so so personally, I mean, I, I love I love your podcast. Um, Thank you. I, when when Elliot uh, pitched it to me, it was exactly kind of I think uh, what the idea of it was really something that I. I think is really relevant for for a lot of different reasons. In particular, you know, there's really not enough information out there. There's not enough people talking about what's happening with these Chinese companies, uh, especially the ones that are listed outside of China. I mean, and in, in particular, of course, you know, ones that are you know on the Nasdaq or the NYSE or something like that, where American investors in particular are going to be a little bit more active and they're going to be paying attention to them a little bit more. So, you know, one company that, that, that we've talked about on the podcast previously with uh, Thomas Graziani, uh, we'll, we'll post the link uh, to that in the show notes, about, is, was about Pinduoduo. And so, you know, you, again, you recently wrote um, a really interesting piece about Pinduoduo, kind of coming at it from an investor perspective. So someone who uh, is really kind of looking at the numbers and saying... Yeah, like a fun, fundamental number Exactly. Exactly. And so the thing is, you know, um, so actually, you and I were talking a little bit um, um, last night, and what I realized is that like finance is kind of like the the physics of of the human society in a certain in a certain sense. It's like this kind of uh, just very uh, concrete way of looking at the world. And so when we're talking about these Chinese companies, you know, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of there's a lot of marketing nonsense. There's a lot of PR nonsense, and there's just a lot of what I like to call tech horny people out there. Who kind of buy into it and kind of really pu- and, and really kind of push push these these, yeah. these narratives, right? Um, whereas with, when, with, with companies like Pinduoduo, for example, they're really good at making themselves look great. And so whenever whenever you know I get a chance to talk to someone who's digged into this pretty deeply, I think it's something it's a story that we definitely need to uh, give airtime to. Yeah, mm, certainly. But um, but yeah, so I guess so so the, the article in particular again it'll be in the show notes. But the article in particular was about free cash flow, right? So before so you know our audience isn't necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. investors. What is free cash flow exactly? Um, it's uh, so like it's basically cash that a company can use for anything they want. Uh, and I mean there might be uses that they need to do, so it could be like. Uh, they might need to be expanding, but there's going to be some component that's discretionary and some component that they have to do. Free cash flow is supposed to be like you take out maintenance and maintenance capex. So if you have big assets you need to maintain, or you know servers you need to maintain, that would be taken out. Uh, but if you're acquiring businesses, that would not be taken out, right? Technically, I mean, it could be if. It's part of the. I mean, it, it, all these these numbers. You know, you can read like a line, and this is this is one of my uh, pet peeves, right? It's like you can look up stats on you know Yahoo Finance or whatever, and you can see a number, and it says free cash flow. There's the number, but you have no idea what, how that number is calculated mm. until you actually calculate it yourself, mm. right? You know, and that that requires, unfortunately, a lot more work, right? So you have to. Open the filings, find the filings, like find the numbers. And it just took us. It just took mean. us like fifteen minutes to find it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we got on, we were like, "Where's how do?" We, sometimes websites don't work. I mean, yeah. So the data feeds, the numbers you see, you need to know the definitions of them because mm-hmm. also with accounting figures, especially the definitions change. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, companies can change the way they what they call revenues. They can change what they call you know. Different like levels of value, valuing uh, financial instruments, and then you know. So the SEC and GAAP accounting and IFRS, International Financial Regulatory Standards, mm-hmm. something like that, reporting standards. They all have their own standards, but they're more like guidelines. And this, this is not like a hard science, um, right? So it's you know there is a, there is a little bit of an art to it. It's a little bit of finesse, but. Uh, if you want to figure out what free cash flow is, you need to read what the definitions are and come up with your own view on what kind of it is to you, right? After you understand what the company's doing and its situation, right? But I mean, so so that's to me that's kind of odd because I mean, like the idea the idea that I always had in my in my head was that when a company you know f- files something, let's say with the SEC, so the United States uh, Securities and Exchange Commission. Like the numbers that they're giving are official, they're ones that like you know they're they're accurate. Oh, they're, they're definitely official. Yeah, I mean they are the numbers they say are the numbers, right? I mean, 
and their <laughs> auditors say are the numbers, right? right? Their auditors sign off on it. So, it, and I've worked at a public company, like auditors do push back on some things and, you know, companies have, I mean, it, in the way you describe what things are, you can make things more convoluted or you can make them more clear, mm. right? Uh, when you talk to investors, you can do the same. And so, I mean, you just like, it, this is why investing, it's another reason why investing is hard, right? It's mm. just like one thing isn't always the same. It's not always comparable apples to apples, um, you know. Mm. So I guess I mean so you know when we're looking we're looking at these filings I mean like what's the what what like what would be the reason for like making make making things so so opaque is it is it I mean is it because companies are trying to trick people or is it like uh compa- like to protect against competition I mean I always have a hard time ascribing motive mm-hmm. to anything because okay. I don't really know what other people are thinking um, mm-hmm. but it it's, sometimes it's just like it, it's more comp- it's just too complicated. Mm. You know, and if you actually get into all the nuance of exactly how everything's done, the document's going to be huge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you, sometimes you just have to simplify, and in simplifying, you always miss some nuance, right? I've always got the impression that particularly Chinese tech companies want to give away as little information as possible, and like they see um, that transparency around how their business works could put them at a disadvantage, right? Like they just well, they don't the, want their competitors to know. Sure. They don't want, yes, you know, investors to really understand. Other people to get a hold of of the fundamentals of their business. And so, any, I mean, number one reason to be tight on your disclosures and mm-hmm. what you're doing is competitive, uh, like the competition getting a wind of it, doing things to counter your moves or you know try to get one step ahead of you. I mean, that makes that makes sense. As an mm-hmm. as an investor, you want to be aware of that because especially if you if you're long the stock you're an investor in the company you mm. don't want them to put themselves at a competitive disadvantage yeah. because they've shared too much so there's like on the one hand you want more information right but on the right. other hand you don't want they first of all they can't tell you something that they haven't told the world right because that's mm. illegal right um but then so you know there's kind of this you have to try to figure it out, unfortunately. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But then if you do figure it out, you're not at an advantage compared to everyone else. I think so. But I, I think there's, I mean, other people, like the view people would push back is say, look, everyone's doing the same thing and trying to, you know, dig in. I disagree. I mean, I, I did... Um, I was I did some investor relations at the company I was at. I mean, it was a small company, you know, listed in New York Stock Exchange, Chinese company, kind of in the middle of, you know, the Sino Forest mess. You know, investors would call up and and be pretty forceful, and you could tell which investors had read the filings mm. and which ones clearly had not. And I would say, I mean, ninety five percent had not read mm. the filings. Yeah. Interesting, <laughs> like. Just as a sort of big picture thing, like, do you see any sort of broad patterns as to like how Chinese companies release their financials, even if they're on the New York Exchange or NASDAQ compared to American companies? Are there any sort of like things, you know? Uh, well, there are differences for foreign filers, just structurally different right. differences. But sort of ones that are more cultural, just like the style of Chinese companies that they tend to do things a certain way. I mean there's there I don't I don't know if it's if I could bucket it that way because there are definitely companies that you know uh, that are Chinese companies that are good at disclosure. I think for example Pony Ma on his on the last earnings call, I mean he he made made it clear uh when he was talking about kind of the WeChat and the float, like the cash that they have there and the expenses that WeChat pay, the payment mm. platform, they call it now. Like, it's not as great. He's trying to really bring expectations down and be clear about it, right? Mm. Whereas, like, he could have been more convoluted uh, and allowed investors to think this is an amazing thing and, you know, kind of let, let that ride. Uh, but he stepped up and said, no, no, like, we... This is going to be an infrastructure business, which is mm. low margin. Mm. You know, this is not you know a big. It's not going to be a big thing, and it's going to it's going to be losing money uh, for a while. You know, right, what I mean, right. 
So he, I, I, I applaud that kind of thing. I like as an, I'm, I'm long 10 cent stock, full disclosure. Um, but as, as an investor, I like to see managers that are forthright like that. Whereas like other times, you know, a question's asked and then they're like, you know, you can kind of dance around the question and talk about something way long-term vision stuff, or you mm-hmm. can, you know, I mean, I mean, like, like when, like what scares me when I see, um, the reason why, like, I don't like that is because it makes me think that the management maybe doesn't even recognize that there's a problem. And if they don't mm-hmm. recognize there's a problem, then you're not going to be able to fix it. So the first step of it, of any solution is to recognize you have a problem and then make steps to address it. Mm. Right. Uh, so that's always kind of what scares me. Um, yeah. So where does Pindodot fit on this <laughs> scale? <laughs> um, yeah. So full disclosure, I, I was short Pindodot. Now I have some, like a small number of puts on it, uh, which are kind of like options that are lo- like I'm long puts. So I, it, it's like a synthetic short, but it's small. The the uh, uh, I mean, Pinduoduo is kind of tough because they have such a bizarre business model that they have to take a lot of time dis- describing it, mm. um, and it's just different. So I can understand, you know, that point of view. My thing, my kind of gripe is that when it comes to this free cash flow thing, like I. You know, when you calculate, when I look at their numbers, and I, we can get into the numbers and all that if you want, but you know, when I compare Pinduoduo to say Amazon, and like a lot of entrepreneurs have learned from Amazon to really value the customer first, right, and just do everything to make the customer happy, and that's great. The thing is, Amazon had a cash kind of cycle that allowed that actually structurally supported that strategy, right? Whereas like if you don't have that cash cycle, and I can describe it if you want, but if you don't have that cash cycle and you're trying to just keep the customer happy, you may be like in a in a vicious kind of downward cash burning cycle that's not aligned like your structural business model is not st- aligned with your strategy. And when you have that, I get I just get a little worried, you know, I, I mean as if it, if it can be identified, you know, management can talk about it, talk about potential fixes. There are fixes, of course, to anything. But, you know, if, if they can first identify it and start realizing it, then, you know, then maybe there's hope. But if they don't, then it's they could potentially lose a lot of money and burn a lot of investor cap. Cash. So, so yeah. So, talk, talk, talk about the difference then. So, with uh, with Amazon, they had a cash cycle that supported it. It seems like what you're saying is that Pinduoduo has a cash cycle that doesn't kind of support their strategy. I, I think it doesn't, right? I mean, I think everyone, if you want to dig into the numbers, or if you want to make an investment in any of this stuff, you should dig into the numbers. I would, I would recommend. Um, I mean, I, if you want to do that, you can also talk to me about it, and I can, you know, try to help. But or just listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Amazon, the the thing that was kind of nice is they had they managed you know the like the platform and the platform behind it, right? Pinduoduo has a platform, but there's two sides, right? You have the customers and the merchants, and there's you know they're not managing the merchants. Mm. There's there's like an exchange going on, and Pinduoduo's revenues are just basically transaction fees that they take from the merchants and advertising fees that the merchants pay them to promote their products, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's some more in there, but that it's it's not what the total market, what the total uh, platform's marketplace transactions, that's not their revenue. Sure. Whereas Amazon, it was, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so it's in that respect more similar to Alibaba, right? Um, more similar to JD, Actually, Alibaba also was an advertising system, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and they would sell also, you know, like if you if you had a store, you could pay for upgrades to like make your shop look better, like you know, the, yep. whatever. And there is advertising too, uh, but because they were, you know, it was like, I mean, they were early, right? And so they were able to their customer acquisition cost was much lower. Uh, and Alibaba kind of 
always had a nice free cash flow cushion. Whereas like Pinduoduo, you have, you know, you have to kind of the merchant, you have to manage the merchants. So you saw like they had to improve the quality of the merchants and the fake products and quality, bad, bad quality. And, uh, let's, let's see. So like if you look at their cash cycle, let's go back to that. Um, so Pinduoduo, they, uh, a, a customer buys something and it goes into a, like a bank supervised account. Okay. And this is the thing about finance and why it's kind of like physics, like what you said. I mean, everything is contractual. Mm-hmm. They, they could change, Pindleda could change these contracts, right? And this would be, this would change the problem. Um, and they might do that. I, I, I hope they do that. But anyway, the, the contracts, the way they're set up now is that this cash goes into this account. Pinduoduo doesn't have act. Pinduoduo does not have access to it. Uh, and then after, based on my calculations for 2018, I think it's about 10 days they have. Uh, they pay it to the merchant. Okay, so merchant, cat customer to merchant. Whereas you know Amazon, they were taking cash from their customers, you know, pretty much immediately. And then paying their suppliers, you know, 70, 80, 90 days later. So you had, so as long as your revenue is increasing, there's like a, the, there's an extra bit that you can kind of keep using, but you can always have more cash to pay, right? To pay the, the next guy. So it's a little bit like a pyramid scheme, yeah, right? It's yeah. a little bit like yeah. it. And that's why like when it, pyramid schemes always, they work until they reverse, Right. Mm-hmm. Once the flow in goes down, it stops working. So that's like that's the the strategy for Amazon was like keep it cheap, keep it awesome and great customer service. You know, like accept returns. Like everything's got to be great and cheap, so people will keep coming. But with Pinduoduo, it's different because they only have these ten days, and like you can't do much with ten days. I don't care how mm-hmm. fast you're growing; they're growing really fast, mm-hmm. like four hundred percent. Yeah. Plus, last year, I mean, that's amazing. And that's revenues. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, it's just like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure investors in the U.S. look at these numbers and they're just like, holy cow, you know, like, I can't <laughs> believe it. You know, they've never seen anything like this, you know. Sure. And it is amazing. And there is po- probably, I mean, it's an amazing business model. If they can fix this free cash flow thing, I mean, wow, you know, it's, it's if they can turn it somehow positive, now the the problem probably will be that you know how much do the merchants want to give them in terms of delay where they receive the the payment right you know there's probably a point where they can build up enough trust with the merchants where they can eventually extend that you know mm-hmm. there's but this is a, you know it's a give and take and then on on the on the other side the customers like the discounts right i mean like it sure. is nice to buy cheap toilet paper and tissues <laughs> and whatever else people buy on Pinduoduo. You know, I wouldn't buy food or anything like that, but they do have a, like a food thing, I think. They do, um, yes. Yeah, that's where they started. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, does that, does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, I think it does. Sort of I think it does. And so, so basically, like, to kind of summarize and make sure that I understand, so basically what you're saying is that um, like the cash flow, the cash flow cycle for uh, for Amazon was was ninety days, let's say. So, so what that means is that they 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 have the money, they have ninety days to do whatever they want with it until they have to until they have to pay pay the supplier. Whereas Pinduoduo only has ten days. Yeah. Okay. I mean, for this, yeah, for these these merchant payables. So that that that's what I'm calculating those ten days on. Um, I mean, and merchants might decide to leave it in Pinduoduo's account. So, like the the reason I wrote this article uh, is because they have this restricted cash amount as of December thirty first, twenty eighteen, and it's below their uh, payables to merchants. Um, but the way they define restricted cash is it sounds like exactly like payables to merchants. <laughs> and so I'm I'm really curious. Uh, what's going to happen when they release their 20F, which is like their 10K for foreign filers? Because also, um, they lost emerging growth company status mm-hmm. because they have over a certain amount of mm-hmm. revenues. I think it's a billion dollars or something. And because of that, they have to adopt ASU 2016 18. 
and that's a uh, accounting standards update. And this is super boring, probably for most people. I apologize. <laughs> you just remember that number off the top of your head. Oh, yeah, I've been reading anyway. a lot about it. <laughs> you didn't read that number off. Oh no, listeners can't remember. No, I, I got it in my head. I James hope I'm got right. That's, that's um, quite impressive. Uh, but that basically that ASU uh, update basically says that they have to disclose more on the nature of the restrictions on their cash. Mm. And so there will be a new note in their 20F that will say exactly what these things are. And so I'm what I'm really curious is, are they defining this right in the past, right? And maybe their auditors are kind of trying to figure this out because now they have to like, really put the detail in. And they're going to have to show the changes over time. So that, like where they start mm. is going to matter. And, you know, the... I want to see basically, okay, is there a period of time where this, um, sorry, is there a period of time where after the payables, these pay, these merchant, uh, the cash comes from customers and goes to these special accounts, is there a period of time after which Pinduoduo is able to use that cash and it's no longer restricted? And that will be really important to my calculation of free cash flow. So when can we expect this? Uh, I mean, I think it should come out soon. I mean, should like April okay. at the latest. So, I mean, that's also why I I, I have um, puts that go that expire in April. Mm. So, mm. Um, I mean, we'll see. And if if I like what I see, I'll probably you know I might go like change my entire view on the company. Mm. Really, um, it's that important to me because I I mean if it if they have. To me, it's like a downward spiral or like a virtuous cycle, like uh, cycle or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's either one or the other. It's kind of binary, in my view. I mean, obviously, it depends on the details. Uh, the details could be like a right in the middle and just impossible to make a decision. But I think it should be one or the other, either way. Yeah. What's been the reception of um, Pindodo in the U.S. just with investors? You know, because. You've already compared it to Amazon. I think U.S. investors, especially just in the U.S. in general with technology, everyone looks up to Amazon. They're just well, like yeah, the yeah. sexiest company. They're and sad they missed it. If they didn't invest right. in Amazon, they have that FOMO. Okay, so you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. They're sad they, there's lots of people who are sad they've missed it. Right. And then this is Chinese e-commerce company right. that's Maybe got 400 is, growth yeah. percent like in the year. Like, I know, it's enticing, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and I think Pindor is a quite a unique company. And, and the US investors understand the story of e-commerce, right? So like it's something they could get a hold of. Like there's some companies, I'm thinking of actually the, the research I've been doing on Tencent back in the day. The reason, well, the reason why Tencent's listed in Hong Kong and not in the States was because Martin Lau, who was working at Goldman Sachs at the time, he literally said, US investors don't understand our story. And it's really important. And that was the key reason they're not listed in the States. Do investors understand Pindodo's story? Um, Really? I have no idea. I can't speak for all the investors. I wish. But But I would guess, my guess is uh, just based on kind of the way it's been trading, I would say no. I mean, it's, you know, it IPO'd, it went, it went up and then down. I mean, it's kind of pretty volatile, and I think that's normal for these Chinese companies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like you, the, the it's really hard because, like, in order to feel confident and have conviction about a position, you need to know a lot about that company mm-hmm. um, and the industry and that and so forth. So, like, actually, when these companies list in the U.S., like, they need to do a lot of work to disclose and like talk to investors road shows and get them to have that confidence that can lead to uh, long-term conviction right mm-hmm. and it's hard to do when halfway across the world is where you're operating and where you're you know right. I mean these these people can download it's easier for internet companies because they can download the apps and kind of look at them and kind of interact with websites and stuff like that but it's definitely hard it's even harder for uh, like asset companies like when I was at the hydro company it was like very hard you know people were like well do you actually own the assets mm-hmm. and like of course we actually owned the assets you know because and that was a question because Sino Forest uh, Muddy Waters wrote this report about Sino Forest and showed that they actually didn't own the assets wow. 
said they own. And I'm not going to name it, but a big four auditor, like a lot of the people from that big four auditor were on the board of Sino Forest. And so it was this like, I mean, you're just, you look at this, you're like, wow, wow. you know? Um, so it, it is, you know, it's scary. You got to do your, you got to do your homework. And as a company, you have to try to like help investors do their homework, but not like so much mm. that you mm. kind of freak them out. Maybe, you know, it's like, it's, it's a difficult balance. Yeah. So I used to listen to a few investing podcasts, uh, based in the States. One is, um, uh, uh, Horowitz Unplugged. Um, so Andrew Horowitz based out of uh, somewhere in Florida. He's a money manager. Um, and he's really, he's really cool because like he does two, uh, at least two different podcasts and he's just very open about like why he makes his investment decisions, how he manages client money and, and things like that. And he also did a lot of interviews. And so this was, um, back in like 2013, 2014, right. this specific episode that I'm thinking about. And he had, he had a, uh, a guy, like a fundamentals guy. So a guy that really kind of looks into a company and says, okay, what are the, what, 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 what is the business model? Does the business model make sense? Is there potential for growth? And he was like, Andrew, you know, so there's this one Chinese company that I was looking at. I even went all the way over there to, to visit, to visit the company and see, see what was up. And you know what? I'm never investing in Chinese companies ever again because like what they told me and what I saw on the ground, it was just completely unmatched. Yeah. So, I mean, like there, there's, I mean, like there's, there's definitely, I mean, so obviously, you know, fast forward to 2019, there's much more uh, information parity, I think these days about Chinese companies. There's a lot more information out there. Um, but, do you, but again, I mean, but it really still seems like there's, there's still that, that room to, um, to kind of, you know, massage what a company is actually doing or massage like the actual, um, cause yeah. again, like with, with Pinduoduo, for example, with any Chinese company, I mean, you can't, you, if, if you don't speak Chinese, you can download the app fine, but you have no idea what's actually right. going on. Yeah. You'd have to like hire someone to help you translate it and like draw pictures on it and yep. try, you know, like, and I'm sure they sure, do well, that. They do you know? in their, yeah, yeah. in their filing, their initial yeah. filings. Right? Yeah. What do, you, what do you think of Colin Huang, the the CEO? How does he strike you? I mean, you're you're listening to these earnings calls, and does he inspire confidence in you? And um, I think he, you know, he's got a lot of explaining. He's got a he's got an interesting business model. It's different than, I mean, it's an innovative business model, right? Hmm. And he's got to explain that. And he's kind of a visionary, and you know. Like I don't have any examples in front of me, but I I get a feeling that you know he's he's really trying to do something good. Like he's he's got an idea and he wants to try to help customers and help merchants, kind of reinvent the the way things work in e-commerce. Um, and it's a really grand vision. Um, you know, I mean, it's you Disney know, the vision. Meets Costco. I am. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but the, but but like my, everyone fav- my favorite quote it. about that. Actually, the next sentence is even crazier. The whole quote. I'll just do the whole quote. It would be a combination of Dis- Costco and Disneyland value for money and entertainment combined, comma, driven by a distributed network of intelligence agents, versus and this is in parentheses or yeah parentheses. Uh, versus the popular super brain-like centralized AI system, which is, when I read that, I'm like, what is going on? Like this, this is so <laughs> complicated. Like I mean, it's, I mean, it's made a bit complicated. Ex Googler coming out <laughs> in there, right? Like yeah. thinking very much about the AI and what's it make? What's the mega brain? A uh, popular super brain-like centralized AI system. So I think what he's trying to say here is. A distributed network of intelligence agents, which is so bizarre, like as a phrase, but it, I think it's just all the shoppers, right? All the customers mm. and like kind of where they gravitate to and kind of, you know, sort of like a market, you know, like any market, like you buy the, you know, the, the people start to figure out what's good mm. and which merchants are good. And then I guess there's reviews. I mean, he makes it sound a lot crazier. Then it probably needs to, you know. Right. So he has this kind of visionary, sort of higher level 
techno futuristic yeah it's difficult to match that with the reality of like me looking into a wechat group and seeing middle-aged women <laughs> like sharing pinduoduo deals exactly but um, also it also raises a lot of bigger questions i think about like companies like pinduoduo like meituan um and in a lot of these companies kind of let's say even mostly inside the tencent ecosystem where maybe they have these grand visions certainly meituan does as you were saying pinduoduo does but i have some big questions about you know what's what's the there, there has to be a boundary to growth i mean especially if you look at um, you know jingdong and alibaba i mean they're they, they you know they they own most of the market share already and obviously pinduoduo is coming in it from kind of a different perspective uh, very a lot lower cost but then also their customers are are kind of customers that are not traditionally jingdong's jingdong or alibaba's um but but again i mean like there has to be some kind of barrier some kind of like I mean, you look at uh, as like all the players that are in this market right now. Um, you know, how how big can they actually get? That's, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of my question. So there's two parts, right? It's the it's like you're just you just say market share. You have the pie, like a pie in time right now. You know, and what's the split? Mm. Um, and then how big is the pie growing? Mm. And uh, you know, if it's growing, I mean, how big can it grow? Mm. Right? Mm. It could grow pretty big. I, I I'll just you know. I think uh, e-commerce as a percentage. Yeah. It's bigger in China. It's big, yeah, it's already. It's always been bigger in China. Yeah, sure. Um, because I think they leapfrogged a lot of you know the brick and mortar. They didn't have to have like a Walmart style, you know, business like a retail business that went to the rural areas of the country first, and like you know all that. So it's yeah I think I mean I think it can get bigger the question is how much of their growth is driven by promotions mm. and discounts mm. so when you look at and it's I mean unfortunately it's hard to figure this out when you look at their filings but Pinduoduo in I mean in their filings you can find it you know you got to look a little hard but uh they spend about 24% of 2017 numbers right so they didn't they didn't announce their 20f yet and then on the earnings call someone at the very last question asked what percent is promotions and, mm. and incentives and stuff and they were kind of i mean they could have been more clear they maybe they didn't have the number with them and i totally that happens you know it's hard to you have to calculate these things um but they said oh it's similar to last year you know, without saying the number, and it's twenty four percent in twenty seventeen. So if it's the same, now remember that's of revenues. So their revenues are not the total GMV. The, uh, I mean, I don't want to say gross merchandise value because actually that's not the way they define it. Mm-hmm. They define it with like a, I forget how many words, but it's like a huge block of text wow. because they include, you know, other things like. Um, they they include other things like shipping fees and then also it's the value like transactions and orders are included in the GMV whether they get sent out returned or cancelled you know Mm. so it's a totally different calculation so maybe you know maybe that's part of the reason why their restricted cash is lower I mean like it's than their payables to merchants. I mean, th- these things are all kind of, you kind of have to try to, I mean, I, my, I come from a background where, uh, like financial modeling, where I would actually take a company's filings and try to put as much and connect as much of those, all the footnotes and everything into, you know, a, a model. And after doing that a few times, you start to see where things connect and how they flow through and turn up as cash or not. Right, profits or not, cash or not, and so like I'm, I'm always trying to think how these things flow through, you know, the financials and how it, how it, it's like a basically a company can be deduced to a financial model, and it can be on varying levels of uh, detail and nuance, but at the end of the day, it's it's like a giant formula, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Does the formula equal growth, or you know, is there? Growth in the formula, and then is it producing cash that can be distributed to mm. security holders or not? Yeah, it really is like exactly like that—a giant formula. I mean, with so many of these platforms, it all comes down to user acquisition cost. It's like the the huge thing, like with with mobile. 
And I, I, <laughs> Especially recently. With, I mean, this wasn't a thing. Like, just in the last few years. Right. It's become so high. Yeah. Right. And so you're seeing like waves of companies that are actually working out that it's just easier to pay users to <laughs> to use our apps. Well, that's what that's what Tiltiao is doing, right? Right. <laughs> and that's what Totiao does as right, well. Right. right. They've got a version of their app where you literally earn money by using the app. Mm. Which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, like, imagine that. I, I mean, so like, outside China, I don't think we see that model. Well, actually, outside China, Bing has a model where you can earn Bing rewards right. by using Bing Search. Right? Interesting. And actually, I think it makes sense, and because mm-hmm. it, at the end of the day, I have a very bizarre view on data and data ownership. I personally think, are like, if I create data on the internet, I should own it. And it should be licensed from me to the platforms, mm. and I should be able to. That's not so bizarre. And it, it's gotten. I mean, I've had it for a long time, mm. uh, but yeah, it's getting. It's. I love that it's getting traction, but it's a hard thing to do, right? Because you mm. have these kind of centralized systems, and they have to move data around CDNs, and so their lawyers are like, "Well, we just have to take complete ownership of it mm. because it's just too complicated mm. to get into the nuance and." I respect that. That's 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 a problem, but I think at the end of the day, people should be you know they should get something in return to licensing their data or giving their data to these platforms. And it, mm-hmm. once it gets to you know hyper competitive, like what search engine am I going to use? Oh, maybe I'll use Bing because I can get a discount on Amazon if I like. Search for something on Bing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's. Well, it sounds it sounds like an interesting an interesting application of blockchain. I mean, even even what Tiltao mm-hmm. and 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 Totao are doing, it's exactly that. So, you know, creating a token, uh, and then basically the more you use it, the more tokens you get, something like that, right? And then those tokens can be used on the platform. They can be exchanged for other things on other platforms, and and so on and so on. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously. <laughs> The de- it's where the details are going to kill you, or mm. it's going to work, right? <laughs> I mean, how these things are all implemented is not right. it's not just like oh, then it works, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Well, for pin Dodo and platforms like that, it's more about getting this getting goods. I mean, pin Dodo for a long time used that method, right? Where you like, if you if I get you to download the app, or I think it's something like five friends to download the app, they'll just send me goods, right? You'll mm-hmm. get like. Uh, I think it was nuts was the was the one I'm thinking of, but like they've been doing that for a long time, and all these kind of like disc special t- discounts and stuff. And I'm a Pindoodle user, like, um, and when I go on there, like recently, it's been to yes, buy highly discounted like toilet paper and stupid things like that, uh, just essentials. But also, like, you, if you use the phone top up on there, like, you can get a hundred yuan's worth of credit for like ninety five. Which is a better deal than I. I usually just use WeChat or mm. Alipay for that, which is basically it's a tiny, tiny discount on it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it's five yen. It's not. It's a dollar. Yeah, <laughs> might as well. For yeah. sure. Um, I mean, and I mean, I one one thing I really like about living in China is there's like. Everyone like loves a deal. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, they love the coupons, yes. the discounts. Like, you know, I've, you go to restaurants and like the waitress or waiter will tell you like, "Hey, yeah. you should use use uh, this ping, yeah. and you can get a discount of like ten percent." It's like, well, <laughs> thank you so much for telling me that person who works at the restaurant. You know, maybe like. Maybe Dianping's paying. Them. Yeah. Maybe there's like a they're, right. you get a discount, but then they're paying the re- restaurant more. You know, yeah. so it's or it raises their rank or something on the app. Yes. I mean, there's these these are all really interesting convoluted things. Mm. It's not just Definitely. a simple transaction anymore. You know, Definitely. there's all these. Well, again, I mean, so again, it kind of comes back to my question about like uh, absolute size, and so it just I mean, like what, what what you guys are talking about here just goes to show how competitive. Oh. Uh, the market, the market is. I mean, like, and so that's that's the thing with like with the Pinduoduo, and even like you know we talk a lot about obviously about Tencent and WeChat, but I mean like it's one of those things where you know what, how big is the addressable market? How big could it actually become? And what what actually are the limits uh, on growth of these of these types of companies? So um, so an interesting way to think about it, kind of big picture macro, is there's a, there's this thing called the Lewis point. Where basically wages, like demand for workers, and you know, uh, let me back up a little bit. 
in a in an economy that's industrializing like China was for a long time, uh, there's an over surplus. There's a surplus of rural workers that come into the industrial sector as it's growing, and basically, the industrial entrepreneurs make and manufacturing and all that. They make really good profits because there's just so many, so much labor that they can never raise the wage yes. of that labor. And they can keep growing their market and just keep growing their profits. And it's a, it's unbelievably good for them. Hmm. But eventually, this thing called the Lewis Point hits yeah. where that incremental labor, now you have to pay more for it. Mm-hmm. And China reached this, I mean, a few years ago. And so it's it's happening. Now, what that means is it's great. It's a, It's a a kind of funky period in the middle, but but what happens is you get more wages, you get more consumption, and the pie just grows and grows and grows. Mm. And like you said, I mean, this is why it's so competitive because people see the potential. And when you see large potential for gains or profits or gold or whatever resource, there's just fierce competition. And you know that's that's why China is like so interesting. That's mm. why you know it's it's just an amazing place. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're, I think we're about at time. Is there anything else that you want? Oh, we what, where are we time? About fifty minutes. Fifty. Yeah. Oh, we should stop then. Yeah. yeah. I, I think our episodes definitely a should bit too be. long. Yeah. Yeah. Within the hour. Yours are definitely too long. I know. <laughs> yeah. They they run at like seventy minutes. Yeah. I mean. We're not Joe Rogan here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I can be Alex Jones. <laughs> so you see. That's good. That's good. That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. Um, well, cool, James. Uh, again, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. I mean, certainly, I, I learned a lot, and I think it's one. It's again one of those things where, for me, like you know, finance doesn't come natural. I, I took a, I took an online like uh, pre MBA certification about a year ago. The finance module was like the most difficult, uh, and it's just because it's. Um, it's not again. It's not something that that I'm, I'm very good at. Uh, but it's at the same time I recognize just how important it is because you know you know we can sit here and talk all day about you know luck and coffee for example and how cool it is and like you know it's challenging Starbucks and blah 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 blah. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is the business making money. Does the business model make sense? And are they able to actually capitalize? On, on on what what they're doing, and or all, will the business model make sense? Exactly, about it? Yeah, something like that. yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, it's and, and what it all, and what yeah. it all and what it all comes down to is, yeah. is 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 the cash coming in the door uh, more, or will it be more than the cash that's going out the door? Yeah, and that's and it's not always very it's not always that that clear cut, unfortunately, as as you were describing. But again, thank you so much for coming. Yep, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, sorry, just one one thing um, before we do go. If people want to find you online, where should right. they do that? Uh, so they can go to uh, Twitter, James Hull X, J-A-M-E-S-H-U-L-L-X. Uh, and then I have a blog that I've recently started writing on again is longhedge.wordpress.com. Cool. And then obviously I hope to contribute more to Technode in the future. Definitely. And so we'll, so we'll include those links in, in the show notes and uh, we'll also include a link to the China Tech Investor Podcast. Thank you.